Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, everybody. I'm Matthew. And I'm Judah, and we are back with Volume 2, Part 2 of our special report on which Star Trek is the best. So sit tight, everybody. It's going to be a great three, four hours. Four hours today? Yes. In the interest of brevity, I think we should go over the rules uh, very briefly. Okay. So we're pitting the five main TV series head-to-head. This week it is the second aired episode of every TV series. Yes. Uh... And we have four criteria on which we judge them. And Matthew, can you run those yeah, down for me quickly? Yeah, so, all right. So, what is the concept? What is the take that they have on whatever? Uh, how's that? Is it any good? The execution. How did they do with that? With that take? You know? Did it suck? Did their takes suck? Um, the world building. What kinds of cool Star Trekky stuff did they bring to us this week? And then, um, you know, characterization. Just uh, how, how did we learn more about the characters? Did they grow at all? Is there an arc? What's going on with these guys? Or are they just a bunch of fucking wooden idiots? Yeah. Uh, after the last episode, Matt, we invited uh, audience participation. And uh, we got it from, uh, as far as I know, the only person who is up to date. <laughs> right. On the podcast, and that is Ben, and he uh, he sent us a rundown using our criteria. Wow, of of these uh, five episodes. So look, man, everybody um, needs a hobby. As we go through these, we'll be checking in with what Ben thought, also, and uh, we'll get our first uh, fan nomination, and we'll see whether he lined up with our decision. Nice. Let's jump into it. Um, All right. So let's get started with Charlie X. All right. Matt, tell us about Charlie X. All right. So the Enterprise uh, rendezvous with some transport vessel. They've got a weird passenger, they say. Turns out it's some little kid. Um, I don't think the crew on that other ship liked him very much. They're trying to pawn him off on Kirk. Anyway, they discover that this kid has uh, magical powers and kind of he can make things happen with his mind. He can, like, disappear people and, you know, know, read people's thoughts, stuff like that. Uh, and then in the end, uh, it turns out he's been living with these, uh, these mythical aliens who are not mythical, um, and they come back and they take him away, and that's the end of the episode. Did I leave anything yeah, out? that's, that's, I mean, that's basically it. He gets real attached to, uh, Yeoman Rand. Yes. Yeah, he, uh, um... Who is literally the first woman he's ever seen. <laughs> right, yeah, when we, we can start talking about the concepts and all that, um so we can talk a little bit more about about this episode. Do you want to yeah. go first? or Yeah, so when I asked myself, what is the premise mm. of this episode? Um, to me, the premise is puberty is a straight-up bitch. Yep. 
and teenagers are monsters. Yeah, I had uh, as one of them growing up is hard question mark. Yeah, that's that because a lot of the episode revolves around people telling Kirk that he needs to explain stuff about growing up to Charlie. Right. And uh, Kirk being like, oh, God, I can't believe I got to go do this. And he's got to, like, tell him about ladies and tell him about life. Because this yeah, kid my- is just... Gro- the backstory is the kid claims he grew up on this planet all by himself. There was, like, a shipwreck and everyone died but him or whatever. Right. On the ship, whatever, <laughs> not a food concentrates within a year. So that's suspicious. And the whole time Spock thinks, hey, it's probably them aliens that we... <laughs> The, you know, the legend of those aliens on that planet that I guess we just didn't go there and check on? Yeah. Everyone has been talking about them, and everyone is familiar with the legend, but yeah, I don't think anyone ever bothered to find out if they're real. Yeah. Um, just a just check-in before we describe what we feel about the premise. Ben listed it as, weird shit in space, parentheses, aliens make horrible space parents. Yep. I think that's true. Oh, great. Do you hear that car alarm? I do. Awesome. That's cool. Um... Yeah, no, that's that's accurate. I also had another concept, which was only sort of important, which was all myths are real. Um, yeah. Now, to me, that is dumb world building. Okay. Uh, so this is something that I have long complained about, but it uh, a show most the shows can fall into one of two camps when they start dealing with fantasy elements or the paranormal. Mm-hmm. One camp is all myths are true. Yep. And that, by the way, that is the camp that is usually, that most shows fall into. Yes. Yeah, if you hear about a myth, they're not, they're typically they're not bringing it up just for kicks. And the other thing is, this specific myth is true, but mostly they aren't, or no myths are, I mean, most, I think it's hard because once you open the door and you're like, oh yeah, let's go visit Jack the Ripper, he was real. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we know Jack the Ripper was real, but you know what I mean. Babylon 5, right. Well, Jack the Ripper was a weird alien weird or something. Weird time travel dude. Or, uh, let's let's pay a visit to actual Robin Hood. <sighs> Jesus, yeah. Uh, anytime you... Or, you know, if, if you have a show that just has vampires, then at some point you have to explain why there are not also werewolves or Frankensteins or mummies. Yeah. And, or creatures from the Black Lagoon. And you feel like most of the time they just go, no, those are real too. Nah, fuck it, they're real. Yeah. It's all real. Right. Um so uh, anything else on the on the concept or the take they're trying to make here? Any anything else that might qualify? I mean there's something happening in here about how you deal with someone who has a crush on you. Sure. Like early on, Yeoman Rand sees what's going on and she tells Captain Kirk look I don't want to have to hurt this kid yeah he's a little creeper like he's 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 coming at me by the way this is the and, space 60s and she's used to creepers like if you saw the pilot oh, yeah. there's just creepers all over the ship dog if you in the uh, in the background information for that for that episode that we just saw the man trap mm-hmm. uh, apparently they had a lot of fun the puppeteers sexually harassing her with the plants in the uh in the sulu scene i believe that so yeah it's suck dick to live in the 60s <laughs> yeah. uh so she knows for sure that this guy's gonna keep coming and she's gonna have to she's gonna have to tell him no you but it, there's no premise really around that it's no. just i and i put that kind of thing into characterization i guess i don't know um so what what did you think of the concept? I mean, to me, it's a four. 
I mean, it's true. Like, teenagers are monsters, but this is not a big statement. It's just what if a teenager had literal monster powers? So it just it just makes a it just blows up the teenager metaphor. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but suddenly human works in this territory a little bit. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. Without giving him magic. Yeah, and there's some other there's some other stuff in there too. Yeah, some family stuff. But yes. Yeah, being a teenager is hard. Uh, I found that to be the worst concept. It's not a good concept at all, and uh, and the fact that we couldn't come up with anything else. I mean, I think that's. I think everyone's agreed that, that is basically the concept. Yeah, so I, I rated it a four. By the way, what did you rate it? I gave it a two. A two. Give it a two on concept. Uh, Shitty take. It is. It's not much of a take. Yeah. But I mean, last week's take was monsters in space. So. Yeah. Uh, Ben also rated this one a four. Okay. Um, but, uh, that is advisory. I'm not planning to track his score on the same sheet. Just, just which one he picked best. Yeah. Um, uh, not great marks on the first category. No, not super great, but, um, but execution. Okay. Uh, how did, how do you feel that they did in getting this message across? I'm, I gave them a three and the reason I did was because, um, I don't even know if you're supposed to feel sorry for Charlie. I don't think the crew does. Because they just leave him with those aliens in the end. Like so many unfortunate TOS characters. They oh, just... he does not want to go, by the way. Yeah, he is. And, and you can kind of see that he has kind of been warped by having to live with those dudes. And I think in the new Star Treks, they do whatever it took to save that guy and rehabilitate him. But in the old Star Trek, they're just like, nah, you gotta go live with your alien floating head. Like, that's where you live now. You know? Yeah, I mean, for instance, there's uh, there's that scene in I Borg, where Picard is like, "All right, fuck it. If you want to stay on the Enterprise, it's going to be a big pain in the ass for everybody. <laughs> yes, it's going to be like, a real I'm nuisance. Not, I'm not going to kick you off the ship." Yeah, but Kirk's content to let a fl- the floating alien head just kind of take him away because he's yeah, it's like, "Ah, oh, fuck it. Your problem now." Yeah, like this guy's an he asshole. A, he a half-hearted away. plea saying he needs to learn to live with his people, and those guys are like, "Nah, though." We're sick of him disappearing, people. Like, yeah. it's a sucky problem. And Kirk goes, okay, fine. That's fine. Kind of like in the pilot, which we haven't seen, the uh, the cage. Uh, that lady in the end, she's like, I can't go with you. I'm too ugly. And he goes, yep, you are. You are too <laughs> ugly. You cannot come with us. Yep, you got a messed up face. So <laughs> stay here with the uh, stay here with the weird librarian. So I kind of feel like they took the being a teenager's hard thing and went, it is. And teenagers are the worst. They should go uh, away. All teenagers should go away. Yeah, I had the I had essentially the same thoughts. I mean, I rated it a four and not a three, mm. but uh, but I wrote down that the execution of this was was essentially comical. Yeah, like, and I don't think I'm not sure it's supposed to be funny when he like crosses his eyes and the camera <laughs> smash zooms in and there's Definitely like a was, porn though. sting. <laughs> but uh, it's funny. <laughs> uh, this is like. This is like not even Twilight Zone put you in the cornfield stuff here. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking was if this was maybe based a little bit on Anthony from the Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, but I also said uh, that he was so mean and rapey and defensive that it's impossible to identify with him at all. Yes. So, like, this is one hundred percent teenagers suck from one hundred percent the point of view of adults. Yep, I agree. Not great. Not great work. Yep. So they had a shitty take, and it sucked. Uh, yeah, they definitely did not do well in those two. Uh, Ben also gave the execution a three. 
uh, saying he hated this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's... Uh, and that uh, Charlie was not good. No. And the, he says the only reason he gave it a three was for a few quotables, such as, there's no right way to hit hit a woman. Yes. So, right right away, the first two original series episodes we have hit, essentially my two... <laughs> yeah, those are your go-tos. only two Star Trek, the original series quotes that I say. Like, you know, I thought you'd seen them all, but maybe it turns out you only watched the first two. I've seen them all, but I must have... I really feel like I must have started this project a bunch of times and quit, and that's why... I know these two episodes the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they do any world building that was interesting to you? So what I have is uh, that gym that they have is fucking bonkers. <laughs> First of all, it's like introduced. There are some dudes doing some ambu jitsu or whatever. Uh, like yep, swinging that, those. I think it's just straight judo. I think that's literally the only martial art anyone in the 60s knew. Just swinging those fucking volges at each other or whatever they are. Yep, and uh, and then there's a, like a, a row of ladies doing fucking cartwheels or whatever. Oh yeah, they fucking got a tumbling handsprings, and then it cuts to Kirk, shirtless Kirk, doing his um. Uh, is he just learning how to fall? I think uh, yeah, Kirk. That's how you start any martial artist by learning to fall, so you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> Kirk looks so silly just falling on the mat. He's like, "Let me show you something," and he just like dives backward. <laughs> like, how? How much would you pay for a pair of those red tights? They were pretty sweet. Those workout tights that they got. I love that the gym attire in that ship is fucking super tight red tights mm-hmm. and a red gi. Yeah. Like, that's the best. Yeah. Um. You know, the gym is amazing. I laughed through that entire scene. Seeing Kirk do his own stunts anytime is fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. What else? Uh, th- that transport ship? Was that a Starfleet transport? I couldn't tell. You know, it had the prefix SS. Was the SS Antares or something? Yeah, and they had a, like, a it weird... It looked like a fucking submarine in space. They had a weird logo on their chest that I didn't recognize. Oh, well, only the Enterprise has the Arrowhead logo. Oh. Every ship has their own logo. Oh, that's kind of... That's ag- that's really aggravating, actually. Oh, does that really bug you? Yeah, that's well, not Well, by the movies, they changed it. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, that there are plenty of these, uh, super powerful Q-like thought beings just use their, their power of the mind to do whatever they want. Yeah. Well, here's one right here in episode two, but there's going to be a lot more. Yeah. Uh, There's going to be one in the next episode. Yes, exactly. These things apparently are going to come hard and fast. So that's all I really had for like new things that were added to the world for this. What did you, uh, based on that, what did you give it? I gave it a five, because I love that gym. That gym was amazing to me. Okay, the gym was great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think there were a couple of other things that I liked about this. So, uh, we learned that there are 428 crew members on the Enterprise. Yes. Uh, that's sort of the first indication of the size of the ship and its crew. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that that I really settle on? That we don't really know about any of the other ships at this point right yes um is that but do you know if that's a number they settle on or if if i feel like that number's bigger than it than the number they eventually settle on but maybe it's not i don't know i feel like that's in the ballpark for where they end up um uh i loved the the jeffrey's tubes between the decks i love kirk backing down that ladder (laughs) yep that diagonal ladder (laughs) to get down to the deck Uh, i also loved uh they were like laying some conduit at one point and yeah. then later when the door got blasted away you could see all of those conduits in yeah. the wall 
So I feel like the art department did a lot of work on this one. Yeah, showing you uh, what the Enterprise is really like. Yeah, there was a lot of that in this episode. Is, this is uh, what we the also Enterprise got to see. Like. I think this is the first time we got to see like all the officers hanging out in the rec room. Yeah, I wish we hadn't seen it, but yes, and uh, and also 3D chess. So oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, but there was one negative thing here, world building wise. Uh, Yeoman Rand introduces him to that Yeoman third class. Yeah, that's a rank, and says that she is his age. Yeah, why is there like a fucking 16 year old or whatever like that's like an e4 rating yeah how she she joined the navy when she was 14 uh the space navy yeah dude i can only imagine that she's some kind of space like a uh pre-wesley she's she's wesley i'm not saying that our dad was like a real career guy but that's the rating that he left the navy at <laughs> yeah so mm. yeah either the ranks do not match up 100 percent and that is some kind of entry level space rank or um or she's uh, she's Wesley you know? yeah yeah uh, I gave it a six for world building just because of uh I mean to, to be fair mainly that gym scene which I loved <laughs> just anytime Kirk is doing a stun is amazing <laughs> he's like oh he was sucking it in as hard as he could in that scene too uh yes he is and uh <clears throat> that is that's why this got a low score from Ben when he when he wrote in uh oh i'm sorry i guess that's actually he he had another characterization but he said you get a premonition that you're going to see kirk with his shirt off a lot and it's just not a good feeling (laughs) yeah that's true but to me it's a great feeling (laughs) because i love the idea that that was like that's a pretty jack dude in the 60s oh yeah he was in great shape you um look once we saw him do serpentine last time i'm all in on william shatner just fucking showing us how physical he is he's a physical actor I mean, frankly, you just compare Kirk with his shirt off to the guy that he chose to throw in that judo scene, Sam. Yep. Who looked like fucking Mario the Plumber. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much do you want to bet that, that when Kirk threw that guy, he was ad-libbed because he was mad about how hard he got thrown? Oh, yeah. Oh, I gotta sure. go back and throw this guy now. <sighs> I got, this scene was only supposed to be eight, eight, 80 seconds. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um characterization so this is only the second episode yeah but where i mean i guess that's already enough to see things reinforced or see some slight deviations so how do you feel they did in this one so i kind of feel like a couple of the same people were pushed as from the last episode like it left me wondering was yeoman Rand supposed to be like a main main character Cause she, that's that's really the feeling that you would get after two episodes yeah because she was in the man trap more than you know a lot of them including spock and she was in this one all over the place as a main character, so I don't know if they were just hoping that she would become important in some way and it didn't work out or what, because she was all over this thing. Um, and they were trying to push Kirk, obviously, and um, because he's everybody's dad, and everybody had to go for, to him for everything and tell him that it was his responsibility to do everything. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Uhura was being a weird bitch. What's her yeah, deal? Uh... I don't know what her deal is, but, uh, I mean, her deal is she doesn't like Spock very much. Yeah, she's sucking singing space songs about his alien wang. Yeah, pretty much. But how everyone got to watch out, because when he uses his alien wang on you, you're going to, like, I don't know. Yeah, his prong is going to bedevil you. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I guess specifically he has devil ears and devil eyes. <laughs> she doesn't mention his prong directly. <laughs> 
Yeah, Spock's donger is what she's singing about, and I don't appreciate it. I don't know what yeah, her deal is. By the way, everyone's just sitting around having a good laugh mm-hmm. as she uh, sings a not very respectful song about the ship's first officer. Yeah. And uh, also, Spock just keeps playing his harp like, well... He's in. This is, this is Uhura. This is what she does. Well, humans have always hated me, and I'm just used to it now. I'm going to keep playing my little lute or whatever. I'm just going to be classy and play my electric harp. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't know who else was in this. I mean, again, Spock's only barely in it. He just just to tell Captain Kirk that it's his responsibility to do stuff for the kid. Same thing with McCoy. Yeah, McCoy's in it at the very beginning of the episode, and then like he's there for the last scene to flip a bunch of switches. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I feel like both of them are just there to tell Kirk he's it's his duty. Yeah, that, that one's on you, buddy. So, um, given that. And given that I wasn't particularly enjoying anything that was happening, I gave it a three. <laughs> um, you know, for me, characterization actually got the highest score. Okay. Uh, so I actually gave it a seven. What? Yeah. Crazy. Um, so in last week in Encounter at Farpoint, there was that really awkward scene where Picard tells Riker he's uncomfortable around children. <laughs> yes. Kirk shows it. Yeah. So I always like a show better than a tell. Yeah, I mean, he, he does kind of handle him like he's just like a junior officer. Yeah. Rather than like a kid. But clearly children are not part of his world. No, and I, I actually do appreciate that the Enterprise is not filled with kids. Yeah. Like it is later on. Uh, I like the way uh, Yeoman Rand sort of managed Charlie as as best she could. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I felt like the Uhura Spock interaction was exactly like in the Man Trap. <laughs> yeah. Where she's bu- just busting his balls for no really well defined reason. I can't figure out if she's into him and she's just being really juvenile about it or if she's just a bitch. Yeah, like, I, we know that this is not going to carry on, right? Yeah. So it's tempting to say, well, this isn't how they are. Yeah. But if you just had these two episodes to go on, you'd be like, ah, got it. She's a bitch and she doesn't like Spock. <laughs> That's right. That's how we're doing this, too. We have to take it episode by episode. I got a real good read on Uhura at this point. Yeah. She's not into Spock. But how do you feel about the characters? Like, so this is what they're doing, but how do you, do you enjoy it? You liking it? Yeah, in general, I did. Okay. Uh, I actually, this is an episode that I always thought was really bad. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of enjoyed watching it this time around. I'm, I'm not sure why. Hmm. Well, I enjoyed watching it because me and Marjan watched it together, and it, there was lots of hilarious stuff in here. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's um, it's very funny. So before you you total them up, let me give you some quick hitters here. Um okay. So obviously, Izzy Anthony from the Twilight Zone. We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, that crazy look he gives when he uses his powers, where he fucking sticks his head down, and you can see the whites of his eyes, and yeah, and then rolls his eyes up as hard as he can. Right. Uh, what the fuck's going on there? Um. <clears throat> uh, so this is Gene Roddenberry's only attempt, as far as I can tell, at doing women a solid. This episode. Oh no, for sure. This is the only one because he's well. He, he probably didn't write this. <laughs> yeah, while he does, I think he's working hard for the races, uh, the various races to be equal. I don't think he gives two shits about ladies, and this one is the only half-hearted attempt. And it's pretty half-hearted. Yeah, I mean, even the. The underlying assumption is that it's okay to treat men a certain way and not women. Right, exactly, yes. They must be treated like, differently, but you're still doing it wrong. 
he slaps Kirk on the ass and does not say slap ass, <laughs> no. which <laughs> not uh, like the guy in uh, uh, Key and Peele, not, not like the Key and Peele sketch. <laughs> uh, and then Kirk's like, "Well, there are certain things you can do with a man that you can't do with a woman." Yeah, and I thought to myself, "Wow, is that one of those?" He's comfortable saying that's okay. Just come and slap me on the ass anytime. Yeah, just I don't like that. Just go for it. Whatever. Uh, the, that's how I run this ship. The, I throw Sam around <laughs> and people slap me on the ass. That's right. The security guards have come to take what's his name Charlie away. Uh, why aren't their pants matching? Uh, yeah. So they're wearing the old episode. They're wearing the pilot uniforms. Well, but their pants aren't. One of the guy has black pants, and one guy has like navy pants. Uh, to me, they look like two different colors of blue. But maybe we watched it on different monitors. Yeah. So they don't. They don't match each other. It's ridiculous. To me, they both looked blue. Why did they? Why don't they just wear? What's up with the wardrobe department? <laughs> look, they ain't got they two pairs made, of pants. They only made so many pairs of those bell bottoms. <sighs> Fucking ridiculous. Uh, lots of crazy stage lighting in this episode where the light is really only illuminating their eyes. Yep. Um, the only guy that Charlie respects is Kirk, which I'm guessing is for John Sheridan reasons. He's just like the manliest man in the room at all times. Uh, well, the only person I respect so far is Kirk. Yeah. Um, like Spock just takes it and takes it. McCoy seems really checked out. He probably took a bunch of those sleeping pills from the last episode. That's right. He's, yeah, he's just cruising that thing high as a kite. Uh, Earth Colony 5 is the name of the place they're going. Yep. Earth Colony 5. Didn't bother to give that a, like a cool name. Also, it suggests that there aren't that many. Well, I hope not. I mean, if you get up to like Earth Colony 800, that'd be pretty aggravating. Like, there's that famous problem uh, about determining based on a serial number how many parts there are of that type in the wild. This is like a a problem that was used to estimate how many tanks there were in World War Two, Right. So, like, if the only Earth colony you know about is Earth Colony 5, I think you're, the correct assumption is to assume that there are 10 Earth colonies. Right. Um, and McCoy seems to determine if somebody's a human by counting their fingers and toes. Yep. Which I think is an interesting way to do it. Yeah, how many does Spock have? I mean, he's half human. Uh, I don't know. Only five fingers total? <laughs> he's half human. He's like, based on the way his fingers and toes are developed, he must be a human. And it's like, oh, okay. That's apparently well, we, how you do it. We haven't seen any other aliens on the ship. Yeah. It's just Spock, as far as we know. Yep. Um, uh, Spock is totally Oates again. I mean, Leonard Nimoy. He cares so much more than anybody else about his performance. Spock really yeah, goes the, for it. He's the only person acting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Kirk decides very quickly and rashly that the plan of action towards the end is just to uh, distract him with a lot of bleeps and bloops and then attack him. Too many goddamn, too many switches. You throw all of them switches. You throw all the switches and attack him, and he knew for sure that and would work. I'm just going to punch him. <laughs> he knew it would work, and of course it did. I'm not going to wait till he's distracted by the bleeps and bloops and shoot him with a phaser. <laughs> That's right. I'll just punch him a lot. <laughs> but it works. Boy. The end game, I think, was for McCoy to come around and sedate him. Yeah, but he doesn't. That was the plan. McCoy never but makes a I move. Didn't see, McCoy didn't have his medical kit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he told Kirk he wasn't ready for that. All right, all right we're just flipping switches. Shit. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I had for that episode. So. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, Ben also describes Uhura's song as a Motown sea shanty. Mm, that's something. It had sea shanty elements for sure. Yeah. I think the Motown is racist. Yes, I think so too. Thank you, racist fan. Way to go. Uh, so, totaling it up. Uh, I gave it 21. Okay. Uh, which ties with the man trap last week. Ooh. 
You gave it 13, which is lower than you gave anything last week, even Enterprise. Ouch. Uh, totals to 34, which would have been second worst last week. So we'll see what the competition is like uh, this week. But that's a 10-point drop from the man trap. All right. Uh, so let's move on to the naked now. When the Enterprise encounters a ship on which all of the crew have partied to death, hmm. they bring back an exotic form of water molecule that makes everyone drunk. Yeah. That's that, it. That seems to That's be it. What happens in the naked now? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, so the I, premise yeah. of this episode, I believe, the intention of this episode is... That the experiences of the old crew can provide a valuable lesson, but there are still new problems to be solved. Because they hit pretty early on that this happened to the old Enterprise. Right. But then their solution doesn't work. So it's like, that all happened. Yes. We know about it. But we still got to work some shit out. Yeah, I really struggled on a concept for this one. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, that's only a four concept for me. Yeah, I... um. By the way, when we were talking about how there are no kids on the original Enterprise, it struck me that what happens to the kids on the Enterprise during this episode? Well, they get they get drunk. Did they get I mean, all drunk and horny? Oh yeah, for sure. Not good. It's not a good situation, especially with Picard on board. Oh, none of the seasoned profession professionals on this ship can prevent themselves from succumbing to tremendous horniness. So why <laughs> the kids are fucked? Literally, can you imagine a fourteen-year-old. It's not good, dude. There were probably fifty rapes. Oh when yeah, this happened. And I don't want to skip around too much, but you—they treat this like it's like uh, like at the end of the episode, just like everyone kind of had a weird time, and it's kind of like a winking, you know. Oh boy, what a weird adventure! But Picard in reality, it's a weird button on the episode. Actually, let me just say that it—you could treat it as the premise if it were the premise of the episode. Hmm. But at the end, he says, "I put it to you all: uh, we should have a fine crew if we can resist temptation. Yeah, resist succumbing to temptation. So this is not an episode about temptation. That's what I was saying. So I was thinking about I was thinking about that exact line, and I was like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I don't think that's what the episode is about about at all. And I actually couldn't come up with much. I mean, I think your take on how it's, you know, welcome to the uh, old adventures." Of Star Trek, but um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by some of the directions we're going to go. Right. Which is a sh which is a real shitty concept. Yeah. Uh, it's poor. Yeah, I, I feel like I have to give that one a fat three. This is a, a big old three from you. Yeah. Uh, that was, and I had to, this was the one that took me the longest notes-wise, was mm. trying to figure out what the premise of this dumb episode was. Yeah. Um. There's no po then, there's no poetry. There's nothing there's there's no meaning that you're supposed to like parse out of any of this, I don't think. Ben also gave it a 3, but clearly he gave up because he his concept is weird shit in space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's not much of a concept. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um one thing that I thought about and this is probably better for a wrap up, but since we're since you asked the question what happened to those kids. Yeah. Uh every other time I've seen this, I just assumed that the uh, the in, intoxication was being passed from person to person 
because you see it being passed from person to person and then they make a hissing noise. Yes. Ugh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but like, this is canonically caused by gravity, by fluctuations in gravity, because they're so near that dying star. Mm-hmm. So like, couldn't it have just also been happening on the Enterprise the same way it happened on the Silkovsky? Like, no one on the Silkovsky got infected by someone else. It was just from hanging out there. Yeah, that's true, actually. But, they, but I mean, it's very clear that it's being transmitted from person to person. Yeah, except, like, right away everyone has it. So who is... Did Jordy... Jordy was missing for a little bit. Did he go around touching everybody? He might, maybe, maybe you can pick it up from surfaces. Maybe he touched just all the doors. Just touching everybody's face and telling them he wished he could see <laughs> rainbows and sunsets. That's right. Yeah, just casually molesting people. Oh, yeah. Everyone's very patient on that ship. Um, Given the shitty premise, lack of premise, how was the execution? I feel like I have to give it like a neutral score because it's so hard to tell. I, I gave it a five, but... <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, they do have to come up with a new solution. And they go through some new versions of this adventure that the old crew went through. but Just a little bit more sexually charged, I think. Yeah, more 80s, essentially. Um, but it's not like it was particularly enjoyable in any way. In fact, it's an awful episode. It is. It's a really bad episode. Um, I gave it a two. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think uh, this episode has an oddly serious tone. Oh, well, for one thing, like, they're still totally trading off TOS in terms of presentation with all of the... Yes. Every time there's any kind of problem, the music just starts blaring. Right. Dramatic fucking music. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say is odd sound design. Ugh. Like, there are a lot of specific stings that are directly taken from the original series. Like, you hear yeah. the original series music a lot in this episode. It happens but, various... But, but also with the sound design, like... You hear too much noise of people walking on the bridge. Yeah. Like, you could hear that plywood ramp that everybody's walking down. <laughs> Clunking around. Like, when Riker goes to the turbo lift to go over to the Tsiolkovsky, it's like clunk, 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 clunk. <laughs> uh, and, of course, way too much sex, and that's why I give yeah, this one too. sex in your Star Trek's bad. That's not what anyone wants. It's not good. It's like how in that Voyager episode we did last week when she's like, you never bother me except in the way I like to be bothered. And I threw up a little bit. I threw up. It's not good. <laughs> she is the worst. <clears throat> yeah. Um, just as for from our advisory board, uh, Ben actually gave the execution on this one a seven. What? Yeah. He said he uh, he thought it did a decent job of taking a stupid distraction and actually making it interesting-ish and later dangerous to the crew. It was dangerous. They all acted like damn fools. Well, yeah, they did mostly act like fools, although, frankly, only Wesley and Shimoda endangered the ship. Yeah, the rest of them were but, just, like, busy getting it on. Yeah, everyone else was just fucking. Yeah. But Wesley locked everybody out, but then let Shimoda in after he swore fealty. <laughs> and then Shimoda pulled out all the chips to play Jenga. Yeah. And um, that's why we never see him again. <laughs> yeah, I think he got super fired. He definitely got cashiered. I mean, he was only the assistant chief engineer to begin with. Yeah. Think about uh, it, dude. A lifetime of work. And McDougal, I don't think, ever got drunk in this episode. No, I don't think she ever got the, uh, she never got the itis. So she probably was super pissed when this shit wrapped up. That dude is probably the only crew member on a freighter right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's like Cockpiel, dude. He's out on some fucking outpost. 
He is for sure. He probably was on that outpost before Aquiel got there. That's right. He got drunk again and got fired. Yeah. Asshole. Uh, uh, world building. Um, so, kind of like in the TOS episode we just did, there is a, they, I think TNG was really interested in showing you like cool new te- how technology had changed in between the two of them. So yes. there's some cool new stuff in there. It's like uh, MacGyver Wesley, who's uh, got all his fucking contraptions and shit. Right. He's got his little tractor beam toy and his voice changer, which looked like a TOS prop. <laughs> yep. He's got his crazy voice box where he can impersonate the captain. And, you know, they're showing you how engineering works. you got those isolinear data chips and shit that dude's throwing around. and Like, he should be in trouble, right? He built that before he got drunk. Yeah, I don't... He built that impersonate Captain Picard machine? Yeah, what was that originally for? For his J.O. fantasies about being asked to do stuff on the ship? Wait, does he admit that? He kind of admits that, right? Yeah, he does. Okay. He's like, since Captain won't let me on the bridge, I use this thing that I built to pretend like he's giving me orders. Dude, it's such a And then a the loser. first order's like, just a real boring one, like, Mr. Crusher, take us to 37 Mark 180, and you're like, Jesus, man. Yeah, he's playing Star Trek all by himself, like, dude. You couldn't imagine that? You had to build a voice box to do it? He tried to play with Harry the Dolphin Sculptor, but that kid was not into it. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get we don't know him. about him yet. We'll get to him later. <laughs> um... So I do feel like they're trying to show you some of that stuff, and, um, you know, there are science vessels. I don't know. There's not a lot of world building. It's basically kind of like what Ben had as the concept, which is there's shit out in space. Yeah. So, um, I give it a five. So it's a five for you in world building. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a four. The the things that I noted that were interesting from a world building perspective are uh, data can get sick. Yes, we know which that happens that never a, happens again. He's he's a I don't understand. All right, I don't care. They like 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 we like you said earlier. They they're just hanging a lampshade on it <laughs> because data comes in drunk and Picard goes no 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 <laughs> yeah you can't you get can't drunk. be drunk you're a robot you're a robot and then he's like look I can though. Yep, that's it. That's all the explanation anybody needs. if you prick me, do I not leak? And it's like, yeah, okay. I guess he can get drunk. Uh, So there's... The fact that he can get sick would be world building if they'd ever used it again, but I feel like I have to give them credit for it at this point. I feel like that's negative world building, but yes. Okay, I mean, it doesn't make great sense, but it means he's not invulnerable. Right, but we know that. Um, Fuck. uh, Oh, Birth-class ships are still in service? Yep. That, to me, is a little bit interesting. Like the Grissom? Yep, just like the old Grissom. Uh-huh. That poor guy gets a ding-dang worm put in his dang old ear. <laughs> I know. Uh, everything from the original series is apparently canon. Oh, yeah, I, I guess think. that is good to know. Like, this tells us a little bit about how the two universes connect. Yeah, we have all the old Enterprise's logs. Those missions happened, really happened in this universe. Yeah, don't you think that connection was already made by McCoy in the last episode? Uh, I mean, I guess, around. but McCoy is weird. He's 137, and he thinks Data's a Vulcan. <laughs> it's, it doesn't do a lot. He's but. also, in his old age, gotten way more Southern. Yes, he's twice as Southern. <laughs> I like how that happens. And he gets to still wear bell-bottom pants because he's an admiral. I do like that, actually. And just a sweater that someone knitted out of 
couch material. I did, and also just to jump way, way ahead, in relics when Scotty comes back, he never changes out of those. So no, even if he's been on the ship for a few days, he's still wearing those bell bottoms. Well, look, I've gotten to the point in my actual watching of the Next Generation where Picard just wears his little suede, <sighs> uh, his little suede open jacket all the Which time. Which is now, real so. TOS because Kirk's always wearing some kind of casual tunic. Kirk got his command wrap tunic that he wears a lot for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. Like, I guess uniform regulations ain't that strict. Not in the space future. Uh, but that brings us to characterization, which I think is where most of the effort went in this Yes, show. so I think uh, there's it's almost like pilot part two. Like, they're still really trying to hammer a few things home. Namely, Riker is the boss on this fucking show, right? He's going right, to be the guy. At this point, Picard is a, an accessory to Riker. Yeah, Riker... Maybe even an impediment in some ways, like... He's a source of friction for Riker as much as anything else. Riker uh, is on the ball the whole episode, even after he gets the the fucking Zika from these people. Yeah. Now he doesn't get it till like basically the very end. Yeah. But then, so the worst you ever see from him is he gets all sweaty. I do like that, despite being on the ball the whole time, he makes no headways at all. He's uh, useless. But oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and also he makes no command decisions. That's right. He, he just, just goes and works in engineering. He just stares at the force field in engineering and goes, "Come on." <laughs> Um, but they're pushing Riker, clearly. They're pushing MacGyver Jr., Wesley. Uh, the first couple of seasons are just full of Wesley coming up with, uh, contraptions and shit. And I think they kind of drop that after season two. Uh, and then they drop Wesley pretty soon after that. But in this first couple episodes, he's still some kind of prodigy with technology and shit. Um, you get some backstory on Picard and Crusher, right? You get a little bit of, we used to be, we, we want to bang but we can't for some reason. Right. Um, and you only got, they only, I fucked a little bit in the first episode. So, uh, yeah, there was like, there's a little bit of like, Wesley can come on the bridge yeah, because he likes redheads or something. Also like a creepy uncle. I knew your father. Right. <laughs> I guess that is a little bit of showing and not telling that he's not super comfortable around kids. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, he didn't realize that that was creepy as shit. That was not a good thing to say. Um, so you get a little bit more of that because they're drunk and horny all over each other and Picard does that awesome horse cough that is legendary Doctor, there must be a cure some formula (laughs) (laughs) You know what he sounds like now that I hear it just in audio? He sounds like Tina Oh, a little bit From Bob's Burgers Yeah Um, Yeah, so he's got that awesome horse cough which is just fantastic um, you know, you get a little bit more of uh, Troy wanted to bang Riker. Maybe that's sort of the genesis of our recent conversations, which are only new, I think, for 2016, about how Riker absolutely ruined Troy. Just yeah, ruined he clearly her. Had did a number on her. Yeah, she is not. She is not in a good place at all. Um, but you don't get much from the other, I mean, yeah, Data can get drunk and he fucks ER, but who really cares, honestly? They only make that a big deal in later episodes. In this episode, it's just kind of like a, don't tell anyone we fucked! Even though in real life, everyone would be just horribly violated by what happened. Yeah. Uh, we already knew that Yar was from Circumstances, but, like, only really based on a brief line during the courtroom scene that everyone probably would like to forget about. Yeah, she just screamed it out for no reason, and everyone went, So we learn a little bit, a little bit more about that, and also that she would She's trying to access her feminine side in a way that's not comfortable to her. Yeah. Um, Troy 
demonstrates that she's actually pretty fragile. Yep. In that, like, it's taking some effort for her to not... Give in to everybody's weird-ass desires because they're in her head? Right. Yeah. And uh, it's cheating to look ahead, but we will see that she she is actually really fragile. It's true that you get a mix of people's drunk vulnerabilities and people's drunk excesses. Yes. Because Jordy also Um, is pretty fragile in this one. Right. Jordy... It, it just wants to be able to see. Yeah. Um, which I'm not sure how much we see that later, but it seems like a reasonable thing for his character to want. I mean, from episode to episode, it varies. Sometimes he's hella cool about it. Like, that's how I've always been. I'm, I'm totally fine with it. And sometimes he's like having a freak out. Uh, but how did you score it? Uh, I think, yeah, I think they actually did work here. And it's not bad when you consider, if you're just considering these two episodes, I, I gave it a seven. Um, well, I gave it a nine. Okay. Doctor, there must be a cure. <laughs> some formula. <laughs> and that's why. Just for that. Okay. Actually, can you give me an eight? I want an eight. You want, I want to move an eight. to an eight? Just, uh, that's the, my favorite thing that's ever been on Star Trek. There are some. There are actually some great, I, what I call unintentionally hilarious moments. I, I don't even know what that horse cough is supposed to be. I yeah. I don't know if that's supposed to be funny. I mean, I think it's supposed to be like, oh, look, they're drunk. That's funny. Right. But what is he doing? What is that choice that that actor made? Uh, it's a super good question, and I would love to be able to ask Patrick Stewart about the decision that he made in 1989. <laughs> Just play him that audio clip and go, do you remember this? To make that laugh. <laughs> uh, we will see as we move through this that Picard is actually weirdly uncomfortable around women, as uncomfortable as he claims to be around children. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is my theory that he is perhaps a virgin. It very well could be. And I'm. And by the way, I feel like that could hold throughout the series. Yeah, it's it's possible. Despite his romantic entanglements, uh, we never get a scene of him of them like uh, awkwardly putting their clothes back on or something. Nope. Well, it might just be nope. a lot of like second base. Uh. So, but I love. Uh. I love and will always love that. Um. That wasn't enough to push characterization over to a to be a ten. Uh, frankly, this episode does a lot of work there. Yeah. Um, did I say, by the way, that Ben gave this a two for world building? Uh, I don't know. But there Just isn't much. That it's, it's essentially a reused TOS story trying to connect it to TOS to hook viewership, which is definitely what they were doing. I think that's true. Yes. Um, he gives it a five for characterization because the, uh, the sex stuff is gross. Yep. Yeah. And, uh... And they ruined Data right away. Yeah. Like, they ruined their emotionless android. Yeah, well, he was actually already ruined in the holodeck in that first episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When he loses his shit that Riker can whistle. Yeah. I, I think yeah. unintentional comedy of the crew in this episode keeps it high for me. So, so for you, you gave this one uh, 21. Oh, look is- at that! pretty high marks yeah about what you gave 22 for far point okay uh i gave this one a 19 which is three better than i did far point and that surprised me because uh this is like my one of my least favorite next generation episodes <laughs> everything about it is so awful but like i was saying it is actually entertaining in the way that bad things are entertaining yeah <clears throat> um which totals it up to a 40 which puts it right up in the lead six points ahead of charlie x nice uh, until we move on to the Deep Space Nine episode, Past Prologue. 
I love that. Uh, I love that sting. I think that's we talked about lo- this. It's the longest one of the stings that I put together for this show. I think we talked about this last week. Are you using the season four and later sting? Uh, that one's from season one through three. Okay. I could put one together from season four if you'd like a little variety. No, I know. I like that you're doing it in the right order. That you're using yeah, the no. seasons one through three, and then this later is season on, one. when we definitely get to season four for sure, then you can use the other one. Yes, but we certainly are still doing this <laughs> yes. in hundred episodes or seventy-five. One hundred and fifty weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew, in the episode past prologue, mm. a former Bajoran terrorist comes to Deep Space Nine seeking asylum. With the Cardassians hot on his heels. Yep. Uh, Major Curious convinced that he's changed his ways, but an intervention from Garrick, the only Cardassian left aboard and widely held to be a spy, reveals his real plan to blow up the wormhole, Lursa and Bator guest star. Ugh, yeah, great. That's what everyone needed, by the way. Um, Concept. Yeah, so I had the concept of this episode as men of violence will always resort to violence. Yeah. Because the story is set up as though it's a story about redemption. Until? Until it turns out that <laughs> he, the character is just not redeemed. Yeah, he's just an ass. He's just still an asshole. And by he's the way, not. they cast a guy who I think just plays asshole in everything in the like mid-90s. Just uh, That guy just shows yeah. up over and over again playing a- like white asshole in something. And that concept is uh, anti-Star Trek. Yeah, I think this is where you're already starting to get away from Roddenberry's Star Trek. He may technically... No, he was dead by now, right? Yeah, he'd been dead for like a year, okay. probably. Because you see the In Memoriam at the start of Season 5. Yes, so that means he's... In The Next Generation, and this was a year later. Yeah. So, yeah, you're starting to get away from Roddenberry's Star Trek, where uh, the tone is a little bit more hopeful in everything. And uh, you're right. In, in Roddenberry's Star Trek, I think this guy either would have turned out to be correct, or, like a, uh, or Kira would have been correct about this guy, and he would have been um, a changed man or whatever. I think he probably would have been a patsy. Right. Yeah, there would have been like, something else Lursa going and Bator would have been using him. Yeah. Uh, so I gave that one a three, because that that is not a take that belongs in Star Trek. Now, does any of the Bashir and Garrick stuff, does any of that go into concept? What do you think was going on with that? What was the point of that? I mean, this is a... This is about Garrick, who... Is trying to play both sides against the middle? Because that's the B-plot, right? It's the B-plot. Reaching out to someone on the station who does not have the presence to really dig into what he's doing. Like, he's trying to find the exact right place for him to get into the, the chain of command. Yeah, this guy is senior staff, but he is also a naive little idiot. Right. Um... And that's interesting, but it's not a concept. It's not premise. I mean, that's it's characterization. That's what I was going to say. So I didn't find and any it's, concept. And a little in bit that. of world building too. Yeah, I didn't find any concept in there. I think that was just straight introducing that character. Just like yes. here's a new character. It's an interesting idea for a character. Yeah. Um. So I I agree with you on the uh, on the concept. I think that is essentially it. Just there's going to be a lot of very similar concepts having to do with Bajorans over the rest of these episodes about what is a freedom fighter and what is a terrorist and you know is any means necessary and you know all this they're like 75 plots like that relating to Bajorans 
that'll that'll come up over the course of this series. And uh, I think this is the this is the first one of those where, you know, it's a former freedom fighter who turns out to still just be kind of a dick. Now, uh, in the in Ben's write up, he he listed the concept for this episode as resolving Kira's allegiance because she really butts heads a lot with Cisco in this, right? Um, and that there is definitely a moment in this where she, Odo sort of helps her decide that she needs to turn to to Cisco with what she knows. Mm-hmm. Um. But since that same, the same exact information came in via Bashir from Garrick anyway, yeah, it's undercut. Like it's meaningless. Yes, she decides to trust him, and the information is extraneous. Some of it is resolving the thing that we complained about from the first episode, which was that it starts off with the two crews or multiple different kinds of people having to work together, and there's tension and shit like that. And there's certain, I mean, I think it is kind of resolved because there's a lot less of that moving forward, except for some right. plots that are, where they're being corrupted by aliens. But, no, no, no. I, like I said, I think that the, that resolution does happen. Yeah. It's just that it, it's not, it doesn't advance the plot any that it happens. Yeah. Uh, I give it a five, it's five concept. It's kind of a nothing. It's eh. It's, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um. Uh, so execution, and I've already said my main point, which is uh, at the end of the day, essentially everyone on on the station turns over everything they know to Cisco right away, yep. and that undercuts, I mean, it ends up undercutting both the A and B plots, like it undercuts Kira's allegiance, and it un- it also undercuts Garrick and Bashir, because you only need one of them. Right. So, I mean, I gave it a four for execution. That was the main flaw as far as I'm concerned. Also, I, I mean, of course, I don't love seeing Lursa and Beethoven. Yeah, again, that's but... why I was... Um, so, I give it a three. Because I just feel like it was a bunch of nothing. Again, Lursa and Beethoven are there just to get people to remember that there's another show that they used to watch. Or that they're still watching. And they should they should watch this one, too. There's, like, no reason it would have to have anything to do with them at all. Oh, yeah. Could have been any kind of smuggler or whatever. But it's Lursa and Bator. Yeah, sure. Get Kivas Fajo back here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why we gotta have Lursa and Bator? Uh, ben actually gave this a seven for execution. Hmm. Um, and the one weird weird point he brought up was that there was a normal Earth rat in the cargo hold. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess that's weird. Was that? Did that why it didn't get a ten? Maybe that. The that's Earth probably rat? why it got, didn't get a ten. Um, that's probably a three point deduction for Earth rat. Yeah. Uh, world building. So there's um, there's a lot of stuff. You get to learn a lot more about Bajor and the Resistance and stuff like that. Not a lot more, but you get to hear about it. Some backstory, some some uh, uh, stories from the front lines, that kind of thing, which they do over and over again. I mean, you get you get a sort of a sense of it. Yeah. Um. <sighs> trying to think specifically what I didn't see a lot of new world building. I mean, okay, so there's the concept of Garrick the spy. Some of that's characterization, some of it's world, you know, world building. Um Yeah, I didn't find a lot there. Did you find a lot? 
Uh, no, I really didn't. In fact, I wrote almost nothing interesting here. Yeah. Uh, for it's sort of our first look at intelligence inside the Star Trek universe. Yeah, there. The only time it ever really comes up in like TNG, maybe around this same time. Like, it's it's cha- chains of command, sort of that era. Chains right? of command, face of the enemy, that kind of stuff, where covert things are happening. Right. Everything else is pretty on the surface in TNG. Yes. I mean, I gave it a two in in world building, frankly, because I thought there wasn't much. Uh, I like it. Maybe it feels a little bit like world building that Lursa and Bator are continuing their sort of machinations. Um, but I don't know if that's going to pay off or not yeah. at this point. There's no reason to think it will. Again, if you're if you've only seen these two episodes, you're I. You're already sure they did that just so that people would watch and go, oh, I remember them from the other show. Um, yeah, I give it a four just for some of the the Bajor stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, ben also gave it a four, saying that uh, the only new thing seemed like Bajor and terrorists. Well, they're not 100% new, but I think... You two are both in the same sort of ballpark yeah. that you you learn a little bit about about what they're doing. Yeah, uh, they technically got introduced in a year before, right? In season five of T of TNG. Yeah, so the Bajora, right, so they're the Bajora in that the, when they are the Bajora. Mm-hmm. When the character of Rolaren is introduced, and you sort of get to. You go to the various camps trying to meet the terrorist leaders. Yeah, and that one you do learn that they are refugees and terrorists. Right. Yeah. So, but that may have been the only thing prior to this. It's odd that they thought that was enough to go on for a whole series. Yeah, um, I don't really know what went behind any of the decisions that went into Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I don't know why they decided any of the things, other than that they got a treatment for the Babylon 5 script. Maybe it was like... We know the Cardassians aren't that much of a threat, so it kind of makes sense that Starfleet would put these limited resources out here. Yeah. Because well, they, the Cardassians are a real, real whole lot of nothing in uh, in the Phoenix. And that's another er- uh, error from TNG. Wounded, whatever that episode's They're called. like, oh, we were at war for 20 years. You're like, huh? How? Was One Star- ship just wiped out the whole fleet. Yeah, Starfleet must not re- really not have been trying to win that war. That must have been some real limited warfare, because uh, they are not a threat at all. Uh, there, was there anything in characterization about this episode that, that grabbed you? Alright, so they're obviously, Kira is the main character in this episode. They're trying to push yeah. Kira a lot. She's uh, stubborn and hard-headed, but she's loyal to a fault. And if this right. guy says he's changed, and he's changed. And she's, you know, she's not pro- provisional government she's just doing what she can for Bajor and so I think they do a lot of work on Kira um like we've already talked about there's some naive Bashir which is awful and I hate it and uh, an introduction of Garrick um uh, is there any dumb Ferengi stuff or Jake stuff in this I I always block that stuff out no I said there was no appearance whatsoever of Quark or Jake or Nall. I consider that a plus really I mean that's yeah kind of that's always, that's like when there's a no Dr. Crusher moment that's what I like um so I you know again I feel like in these early episodes it's kind of these scores might be inflated or or what but I feel like they were trying to do some good work in here so I um I gave it a seven okay that's pretty good 
A um, couple of things. Uh, on the negative side, I thought Bashir's pretty unlikable, and Dax was a real cardboard cutout. Dude, in this episode. for the entire first season, I know we've only seen the first two for this project, but she does not have any personality at all. Yeah, so they did not... They didn't even do her a Yeoman Rand style solid as far as giving her a character. I think they're like, oh, she's so old and wise. And the actress or the director's notes or something came off as just uh, don't do anything. Don't do a single yeah, just, thing. You're too wise to do any of this shit. Yeah, you're above everything. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is there's a moment pretty early on where Cisco turns to O'Brien and says it would be nice if when the Cardassians arrived, they had a lot of regulations to deal with. Oh, yeah. He's good. And I thought it's interesting that everyone, like Cisco doesn't really know O'Brien at this point, no. but everyone instinctively knows to turn to O'Brien when rules need bending. <laughs> That's right, because he's the old grizzled chief. Yeah, it's like uh, Riker will tell him to take a nap when he's got to do some illegal beaming. And then he goes, know? oh, I just woke up from my nap. Yeah. when it's time uh so i like i like the idea that somehow in very little exposure o'brien is getting across this idea that uh yeah he'll break a rule it's, fuck it it's the first thing that you learn about o'brien from working with him somehow he gets that across um so y- and you're right a, though you would think he would not trust o'brien because o'brien is clearly in with picard and he hates picard but yeah he hates picard so much you would think unless maybe o'brien got there and just immediately started shit talking picard and then he broke the prime directive again yeah yeah well if that's a problem for him cisco's gonna be <laughs> yeah not gonna be any better yep. um i gave it a five i thought it was pretty mixed uh like they obviously they did some work but Bashir and and Dax are really negatives. Negatives and uh, you know all they did some work with Odo here too yeah. that I don't think you talked about where he's sort of coming around on Cisco also like he's giving him some latitude I think probably still I guess in universe based on his uh, sticking it to Quark a little bit yeah in the pilot he likes that but he he's he sort of helps Kira turn around on her feelings so but that's characterization wise that's about it um so if you add those up i gave this a 14 which is Ooh. not good to be uh you were uh you were a little kinder you gave it a 19 all right uh in general you have scored these higher than me okay there have only been uh t- two exceptions you know what's funny is uh, when you say 19 so i go far. oh that's a really good score and then i average it up and i go oh that's under five per category it is. That's less than <laughs> that is less than five per category. Right? A, yeah. a twenty would be dead even. This is still uh, fitting in with my idea that there's a hundred and fifty way tie for last place in these things. And incidentally, so far the highest score either of us has given an episode is uh you gave the man trap a twenty three. Boom. So if you think about it, that's Under three six. three out of twenty over uh over fifty percent. So that's sixty two percent. Yeah. Not great. That's the high score so far. So well, have we seen a great episode? We're not. No, 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 we really haven't. No, we have not. Uh, so we're not being super charitable with these. Um, but that uh, did we get Ben's take on everything? Oh, uh, Ben's take on uh, on characterization was that Kira had good good background. Uh, he says Garrick was a new character, but was super weird, and he didn't like him. Yep. And he asked, "Was he gay for Bashir?" <laughs> He um he he's is, a weird dude. He's a weird dude, and he's uh, super engaging. So maybe it seems like he's got a thing for him. Yeah, and he said Cisco sort of seemed erratic, and that is the story of Cisco to me. Yeah, 
the dude is straight up mentally ill. He and I like his, I like his acting style. Avery Brooks, whenever he gets like really worked up about something, he just breathes in really hard. He's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, I think he's I think he is a Halsey. I think he's going to lose his shit. He's going to start tearing his clothes up and stuff. He's he's full Halsey over there, <laughs> but like without the charisma. That's right. Uh, that, uh, let's move on now to the Voyager episode, Parallax. Alrighty, uh, so the Voyager, on its long way back to the Alpha Quadrant, after being stranded, uh, across the galaxy in the first episode... Uh, comes across a spatial anomaly when it appears another ship is trapped in. And uh, the episode is basically just a struggle for them to extricate themselves from this weird anomaly, as well as the the perceived other ship. Meanwhile, there are problems uh, with the crew between uh, Bellana and uh, some of the other engineers, and all this Maquis and Starfleet stuff has to get resolved. So, that's it, right? Yeah, that's basically it. I always ask for a clarification, because I'm not really paying that much attention to them. <clears throat> it's uh, difficult, too. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so concept of this episode. Uh, essentially, the two crews have to learn to coexist, right? This is what was set up in episode one, right? So, two crews, your Maki crew and your Starfleet crew, can they learn to really make a go of it and get along together? Backup story, is the Doctor a person? <laughs> there is a little bit of is the Doctor a person. Now, I didn't really think about that. Again, we are only two episodes in and we can only judge it on that, but there will be 60 more, is the Doctor a person? It's weird because everybody wants him to be a person more than he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wants to be turned off and left alone. This is the reverse of measure of a man. So that's um, it, right? I mean, two crews have to learn to coexist. Is the Doctor a person? Yeah, uh, so when I wrote down what I thought the premise was, it was... Uh, the integration of the Maquis into the crew must be more than tokenism. Yes. Right. Yeah, she so. she promoted Chakotay to be the first officer, but no one else seemed to have gotten any kind of favorable treatment. Yeah, and when he accuses her of making him the token Maquis, she says, pick another one. <laughs> That's right. Pick a second token. Yeah. That's how it works. But I think not a second one. Oh, to replace, replace you. Yeah, yeah. He's like, because yeah. I won't be your token. And she's like, okay, so who who should be my token? Maki crew. Um, yeah, so, and this is all, so this is a Balana episode. And so it this is. concept is played out that way. I mean, it's a Chakotay episode to a certain extent, but it's, you know. We certainly get much more of Chakotay in this episode than we did in the pilot. Yeah. Um, he doesn't make any suicide plunges or anything in this one, but other, otherwise, yes. So yeah, so it's basically Chakotay arguing with Janeway about making Balana the chief engineer. Um, the show opens with Balana breaking um, the uh, presumed next guy in line for chief right, engineer. The heir, the heir apparent. Yeah, um, the presumed heir apparent. Guy, uh, it's always got to be some kind of Irish dude named Carey. Irish or Scottish, those guys are interchangeable. Whatever, one of those guys. Some guy named uh, Lieutenant Carey. She busts his fucking face open. And then Chakotay still thinks that she should get consideration for the chief engineering role based on, uh, I guess, ability? How good she is as an engineer. Yeah. So that's yeah. what the the two crews have to come together because he wants Janeway to really get to know Bolana before he makes a decision about who's going to be the next chief engineer and all this shit. So that's... So, 
Um, I gave it kind of low marks for that premise. Not because it's not Star Trek. Mm. Because it is. But in fact, it's so Star Trek that this should not be a problem for Janeway at all. She should be um, up up to snuff on this kind of thing already? Right, yeah. It's like... Roddenberry Star Trek should have already prepared this. Prepared it's weird and bad that it's this needs to come up at all in this universe. Yeah. Uh, so I gave it a four. I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm not even sure exactly how much time has passed between the pilot and this one. It's obviously not a lot of time. Well, they're still replacing crew members who died in the pilot, yeah. so you you would hope that they would get that done fairly quickly. But also, the ship seems to be in a lot worse shape than it was at the end of the pilot. Yeah, did they like? Did they lose a lot of energy reserves or something? Because these ships they are out in space for a long time, according to the other the other shows and other episodes and stuff. But yeah, they're like they're like short on everything. Yeah. Um. So I see what you're saying about it, but, you know, I guess to be fair, it has only been, well, I don't know, let's say it's been a week or two or whatever. Like, they were just hunting these guys down, like, a minute ago. It's not even like they're just random others. Like, these were rebels and traitors and stuff. So maybe, you know, even though it's Roddenberry's Star Trek, she would still be kind of suspicious about promoting them into places of authority or whatever just based on the fact that they are uh, renegades. Right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it hasn't been that long. She hasn't gotten to know him yet, which I, which is Chakotay's point, I guess. Um, I gave the concept an 8, because okay. it was easily identifiable. Well, that's true. We all, all three of us who wrote in on this one, agreed on what the concept was, essentially. And, um... Oh, I'm sorry, I should say, um, I actually should read what Ben said the concept was. Yeah. Uh, because he said it in a kind of a flowery way. He said the concept is holding a mirror up to the divided loyalties on the ship. Because mm, there's some mirror stuff that happens here. I like that. That's very poetic. And mm. also, it's kind of true. He also rates it a six, by the way. So it's fairly solid, but straightforward. It's kind of true that that's what Chicote does, too, is he kind of makes Janeway aware of some of her behavior that she wasn't necessarily considering. So it is kind of like holding a mirror up to it. Um, so it, it, even though it's... It was, it was easy to identify, and even though it's not amazing, it is sort of the natural payoff for what the first episode is set up. So, yeah, I gave it an 8. You know what? You've swayed me a little bit. I'm going to bump it up to a 5. Yeah. I just feel like, especially compared to some of these other episodes, because I'm scoring them all kind of at the same time, just the fact that it was nice and easy to figure out what they were going for, <laughs> I think made me go, oh, okay, good. <laughs> As opposed to some of these words, like, what's the concept? I don't know. Well, I mean, Dumb certainly crap. it's hard to find a concept for the naked now. Yeah. yeah. That's not just monster of the week. And this time monster is inside you. Yeah. So not unexpected based on the pilot, but decent themes, essentially. How you think they did? Um, I gave it a five for execution. The whole two crews thing doesn't go a lot deeper than Balana. Uh, that was my main criticism of this episode. You see a couple of other Maki, and they're like, we're behind you, but that's it. I mean, really, it's just Chakotay arguing about Belana and Belana not even really arguing for herself. And the Doctor is still comic relief, which kind of shits on the entire question of, is he a person? Because even the writers uh, of the episode don't really care. Yeah, like, I again, I think they they touched on it a little bit, Yeah, but... 
they didn't dig into it. No, they're like, isn't it funny how everyone treats him like garbage? And it's like, oh, okay. So you didn't so, really tackle that one. Uh, I will read verbatim what I wrote in my notes here for execution, which is that the story becomes too small and focuses entirely on Bolana and Chakotay. Yeah. We see other members of the Maquis crew, but they are just hooligans in this. Yep. Like, they're just like, is it time to mutiny? Spo- yeah, spoiling for a mutiny, like ASAP. But the thing that really hurts this to me is that in the end, we find out that Bolana went to the Academy and was like a superstar and had glowing letters of recommendation. Yeah. So, like, she, there's no reason for Janeway not to promote her to this. Well, there's one reason specifically that I was left well, with. Yeah, she broke that guy's nose. Yeah. I, look, I get that. One day after she breaks this guy's entire face, she is promoted to run the engineering department. Sure. But it's like, they had to back off on the idea that this was something that needed to happen for integration by saying... Oh no! Look, she's the right person for the job. Yeah. Like they had to, they had to show you that so that you didn't shout at your screen. Yes. So yeah. I give it a two. Okay. I thought that that weekend did a lot. Also, they bring that up about what a superstar she was, and they're like, "Why did you leave the academy?" And she's like, "I didn't want anything to do with Starfleet then. I don't want anything to do with it now." And you're like, "Good, good answer." She, she, um, she left the academy because. Uh, ben gave this one a seven, by the way, for execution, said that it hit all of the beats you expected in the story. That's true. Yeah, it did. And the the B plot about the... Uh, yeah, the the thing... The reason that the ship is in trouble in this is just it's just extremely boring and it never oh. stops being boring. Yeah, I'm going to get to that soon. Let, yeah. let, me, uh, let me throw in some quick hitters before we get to the rest of these ratings. Um, Janeway, in her senior staff briefings... Basically, is like, uh, I could read you, like, the analysis, but it's long and boring, so anybody got any ideas? No? Yeah. Okay, that's no kidding. end of briefing. Like, that's how she runs her briefings. She's like, I have some stuff here, some information, but it's pretty boring. Um, can you get promoted a mere 24 hours after breaking your coworker's face? Star Trek says yes. Uh, in the end, Janeway crashes through the weird barrier thing, like it's an episode of Star Command. Like, she's just out of plans. Yes. She's like, I have, I'm out of good ideas. Let's just crash through it full speed. And everyone goes, okay. And of course, they all get shook around and the ship, ship gets broken and stuff. Um, I actually just last week saw Chakotay in an, uh, like an 80s post-apocalypse zombie movie on some shitty movie channel. And his acting was <laughs> terrible. I just remembered cool. it while I was watching that. I was like, oh yeah, I saw him in that terrible uh, zombie movie. The actor's name is like Bel- Robert Beltran? I remember it's Beltran because Marjan likes to call him Beltran. Oh, Beltran. Because <laughs> it's the whitest uh, way to say it. Uh, Garrett Wang, shit actor. His uh, headache that he got in that corridor, like, made me shart. Because <laughs> he just, like, he goes, oh, my head! And he, like, slams up against the corridor, slams up against the bulkhead, and it's like, oh, relax, dude. No one's ever had a headache that bad. Um, And I guess they already got tired of Tom Paris because he's barely in this episode. So. Yeah. Uh, but didn't they treat that B-plot like no one cared about it, even in the show? Yes. Yes. They did. Um, so, world building. Okay, so they did a couple of things here. Okay. Um, they set up some self-sufficiency ideas, like Kess is going to grow, have a hydroponics lab, mm. stuff like that. Like It's sort of managing their isolation. Right. Uh, and again, with... Um, like, oh, we should start cross-training, so Tom Paris, you're going to become a nurse. I guess that is a good idea. Like, 
so they're doing a little bit of world building about how do we deal with potentially being out here for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that was about it for me. I gave it a four. Yeah, see, this is the kind of thing that um, Battlestar Galactica turned into a concept. Yeah. They have that whole episode where it's like, great, we're, now it's going to be a class system because if you were a pilot before, you know, you're going to... I was I worked on a mine, so I'm going to be a miner for the rest of my life and I got no choice because you guys need your materials and shit. And so they have to, like, ch- challenge their preconceptions about what, you know... What what they want their society to look like moving forward, and they have to end up moving crew around so that they can take on different duties and stuff, so they're not assigned to a job on a mining ship for the rest of their life or whatever. In this one, it's just yeah. kind of like they're trying to figure out how they can get by or whatever. But yeah, it's one of the reasons that Battlestar Galactica had potential, which is why it's so terrible what it ended up being. <laughs> yes, seasons seasons one and two, I guess, were all right, and then after that, it really just became a piece of uh, shit. I mean, I've said this before, but. Uh, as soon as you started seeing something and it wasn't clear whether it was a dream or it was real, I'm out. Oh, episode one then. Yeah, episode one. <laughs> That's right. Because right. yeah, it tells me this is a show where I'm going to have to see dreams. Um. So, cross-training. So, was there anything else that you uh, considered world-building? No, nah, I mean, that was really it for me. Okay. Like, there's a weird type of anomaly in space that they may encounter who gives a shit. That's nothing. And they mention another race out there, but they don't go They don't go find them. So, yeah, nothing. and Neelix says that they're, they have advanced technology, but we don't know what that means. No, and he says that they're friendly. It would have yeah. been nice to meet one of those. Yeah, or I don't know if this, I don't know if it ever pays off. I guess we'll see. But, like, theoretically, they're close to a planet that's got some technology and is pretty friendly, but... Uh. They don't care. They don't want to go meet them. <laughs> First of all, he didn't bring that up until they ran into this anomaly. Yeah. Isn't it his job to be telling them things like this? Like, if they have all these uh, issues with uh, ship stores and fucking energy reserves and shit, couldn't they go to these friendly people with technology and see if they can figure it out? <clears throat> anyway. Uh, I gave it a one. Ooh. Um, but you might have swayed me to a two. Oh, by pointing out a couple of by little pointing out building examples? The cross-training thing, mainly. Um, what was the first thing you mentioned before the cross training for world building? Oh, like hydroponics. Yeah, to me that didn't really feel like world building. I mean, like, it, I always it's assumed... half characterization because it's just finding roles on the ship for uh, Kess and Neelix. For Kess and Neelix. Yeah, that's where I have that, and because I always kind of assumed they would have that ability, but you know, they just always chose to use technology. But there's nothing preventing them from like growing a thing. Well, and we, you know, right? Uh, it, not that not that we want to get too deep into this, but we've seen like arboretums and yeah. shit. On the next generation, fifty times by this point. And last week we saw Sulu with all those plants. So yeah, she can grow in space. So that part didn't really do anything for me. But the cross training, I think, moves it up to a two. Uh, I think Ben was uh, roughly where we were here on world building. He gave it a two, and he says they weren't trying. They weren't doing any world building at all. That a, a floating space oddity as the antagonist to set up a situation where the existing characters had to figure their shit out. Yeah. And there wasn't much. And we all agree there was not a ton of world building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. again, I had it a one because I literally could not think of anything that was new. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll give it a two. How did you feel about the characterization, though? So there, are, I think there are three characters that really are, that we learned something meaningful about. And that's only Chakotay, Janeway, and Balana, And Janeway, the, less, the least of those three. Yeah. Um... The Doctor, again, the B-plot's about him, and that was my second concept, but it's just a joke. He's just, like, kind of curmudgeon and everyone treats him like garbage, and then we're supposed to laugh about it, I think. There's not a lot going on there. 
you know. Did they treat him like garbage? Well, they're just they, like, they don't turn him off when he leaves, and that irritates him. Yeah, and no one will come to fix his thing. Like, his, he keeps shrinking, and no one gives a crap, and they all kind of think it's funny. Like, they keep smirking about it. They do. They're shitty about that. Yeah. Um. So we learn a little bit about how a couple of them will be fitting into this new story, but no one else is really in it that much. I mean, Cass is kind of a nothing. She's going to, great, she has an idea to, for, to grow some plants, you know? Yeah, they show up for that early scene in the briefing room and then fuck right off. Yeah. Um, so I didn't... There wasn't really a lot going on outside of that main three. I gave it... I gave it a six because they worked hard on Chakotay and Balana. They were trying to get some work done on that. Um, yeah, I think we're in the same neighborhood. I, I mean, I had given it a five. Yeah. Um, and And it mainly got a score that high because... Chakotay's accusations of tokenism seem to be valid. Yeah. And because, like, he was so nothing in the pilot. Like, we're seeing a little bit of him now. Yeah. He was definitely much Uh, more likable in this one. I think because it was easy to see that he had a point. Yeah. Again, he was correct. Yeah. So that, yeah. Um... Yeah, that I don't really have too much more to say. I think we touched on all of the other the other beats in this. Uh, that that engineer that Tauros is butting heads with yeah. is somehow unlikable. Yeah, and he doesn't even do anything wrong. And in the end, he's really magnanimous about everything. Yeah, no, he turns out when when like the verdict comes down, she's the chief. He's actually pretty cool about the whole thing. He shakes her hand. He's like, nah, all right, let's get to work. And uh, but I think you're right. I think they hire that guy because there's something about his dumb Irish face. Just like yeah. fuck this guy. Uh, ben gave it a two, by the way. All right, and said, "Someone please switch off the doctor." <laughs> yeah, well. And he also said, uh, "Jane was like Catherine Hepburn." Yeah, yeah, Jane was like not a enjoyable. bad parody of Catherine Hepburn. She's not enjoyable at all. No, there's not much of her in this. That's there's nothing likable about Janeway in this. I mean, I guess she tries to do some, like, real basic mentoring. Of Bolana, she goes in a shuttle with her, and they talk. When a they're bit. in the shuttle already That's together, a good five minutes, right? That's all you when, need when to she has someone has no choice but to talk to her, <laughs> right? Yeah, Janeway has not been likable in the first two episodes. But. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else? You already gave your your quick hitters on this one. Yeah. Um, I thought that the plot of they're flying away from something and then they're coming right back at it uh, was real Nagila me to me. Yep. So. Except you don't have Jonathan Frakes there to give his great Jonathan Frakes faces. Yeah. I guess we should move on to the Enterprise episode this week, Fight or Flight. <laughs> Some great marching band music there. Yeah, I, uh, in line with my goal never to play the actual music from Enterprise, that is... Uh, it's the pride of the Spartans, the San Jose State Marching Band, doing their signature song, the Dancing Sousaphones. Now, is that, did you play that because they came within a touchdown of winning a game? Uh, well. <laughs> is that that's the closest they're going to get? So you figured you celebrate them now? Uh, I played that because that song goes through my head basically all the time. Okay. Uh, also, the other, uh, the other themes, particularly DS9 and Voyager, are pretty horn heavy. Oh, that's true. So I thought I'd play something with a little brass. Yeah. Also, uh, we probably have... Ben's a state fan, right? Yeah, Ben went to San Jose State. There you go. This all works. That all worked for us. Uh, Matthew, fight or flight. The Enterprise is finding their first foray into the unknown boring. Uh, 
until they run across a derelict ship whose crew has been hooked up to pumps to drain their vital fluids. Hmm. Can they work together with their first new species to stop the protein scavengers, or will Hoshi's lack of confidence do them all? <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, did we total up the last one? I was, I oh, uh, I can total that up for you. Voyager I did not, just it so turns we... out. Uh, I gave it a 16. All right. Uh, and you gave it a 21. No way, really? Yeah. Oh, killed 8 you. plus 5 plus 2 plus 6. Wow, look at that. So, um, that's pretty good. That's a 37. Past prologue was in at 33. Uh, and uh, Charlie now. X at 34. And the Naked Now at 40. Naked so Now is still the winner. That's where those come in. For now, the Naked Now is still on top. Mm-hmm. But, hey, we still have to talk about this Enterprise episode. It could pull ahead. All right. Uh, I think you're... It's not, it's not going to pull ahead. <laughs> I think your description of the episode uh, kind of um, drew up the concepts right uh hoshi and her fucking emotional problems yeah so to me the overwhelming theme of this episode was about expectations like the ship is the people on the ship are essentially bored and spoiling for a fight because this is their first journey out there and it's not what they thought it would be and hoshi is dealing with the expectations that Archer had for her. Right. So it's sort of external and internal. So I wrote down expectations can be limiting. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think those are... I think that's definitely what is happening in this episode. That is what they are going for. Um, In terms of how I feel about it, uh, I don't even understand what Hoshi's doing there in the first place. I mean, okay, she's really good with languages, but is she in Starfleet? How does... What is she? How does you know, she, she work? Wears, she wears rank, but it's not... Because he just goes and finds he, her in the pilot. He goes and finds her on the on, in Brazil or something, just in some khakis, just teaching a uh, class. That is true, but my read on it in the pilot was that she was like on a sabbatical or something doing that. Because then they always talk about how totally unprepared she is for this life and everything. And it's like, what is her back? Like, what, why isn't she so prepared she for So she says she did three years of Starfleet training. All right, so I don't know what her deal is then. She just sucks, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this is, introduces my main problem with Enterprise, which is that everyone on the ship is an asshole and they really are spoiling for a fight. Oh, for sure. All the time, with everybody. And the few times that they are not, the writers make it so that the aliens they meet are. So that every episode <laughs> is a terrible shoot 'em up or whatever. Um, and in this episode, it's the same thing. They're like, oh boy, Deuce Space is dumb. And then they come across a horrible scene, which is exciting for everybody. Um, I gave the concepts a four. Well, that's what I gave it. Okay. Um, Interesting here to turn to what Ben said, because he thought there was an aspect of racial superiority here. Hmm. So we meet, well, we don't really meet, but we see the effect of these predators who we never learn their name or see them in any way nope just we see their ship maybe they'll come back they probably Uh, won't but they kill an entire crew just to get some like some proteins and shit out of them Mm -hmm. and the whole time like the b plot is sort of well it's tied up in this but archer and topol are are arguing a lot about whether the human approach or the vulcan approach is correct right so there's a sort of a 
the episode seems to advocate pretty strongly for the superiority of the human side of the affair. So he thinks there's a racial superiority aspect here. He gave it a six. Uh, I think six is generous. Yeah, I um, I feel like a lot of that goes into characterization, but it, I mean, I guess it is something that keeps going for many episodes, which again I can't give credit for for these first two. But this whole uh, human versus Vulcan thing, and what are the Vulcans really here for, and should we be like the Vulcans or should we not be? But I feel like that's such a specific discussion and argument about human versus Vulcan that it kind of, it's kind of hard to make it like a whole take or a whole concept. Yeah. Um, so we both gave it a four for premise, um, for execution. Uh, I I've got to say, I gave this one a one, <laughs> Yeah. uh, because it's everything in here is very obvious or explained verbatim. There's no trust in the audience. It's just, it's very ham-fisted. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about this offline that I don't know who this show is for. I don't know who the audience is. I don't know who, or who they want it to be because it's not for smart people. No. And it's not for Star Trek fans. It's so uh, no, different. It doesn't seem to be. Yeah, it's and it gets really otzy. It gets real Batman movies. It gets real dark. It's not quite there yet. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know who this show was made for. I don't know. I know why it was made. They wanted to squeeze some money out of it. But I, I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. So yeah, you're right. They do just like explain everything to you, and they're like, "Ah, are you satisfied?" It's like, oh, she has this pet slug. <laughs> yeah, and she. She can't find the right environment to, like, bring it up in. And she talks about how it's out of place. And, and Phlox, Dr. Flox tells her, You're, the slug is, is you. You're the slug. <laughs> this the slug is a metaphor, and the slug represents you in the metaphor. Then did he look right into the camera? Yeah. He spiked the lens, and he said, do you see that the slug is a parallel for Hoshi? <laughs> and, like, finding the right environment for this slug. Don't worry, in. you'll adjust. <sighs> yeah, not so great. Uh, so, uh, yeah, real, real, real poor in terms of execution. Yeah, I agree. I, um... I mean, like, they film it like a like a horror story episode, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's like dark jump scares. The people are up on meat hooks. Yeah, and they're excellent. But... I mean, and what did we say was the, the concept, right? The concept is, are they going to be able to work with these... Are they going to be able to make it work out there? Are they going to be able to work with the people they meet out there? And I just feel like their their solution is already to try to shoot, just try to shoot stuff. It's yeah. like it's a bad execution. Like, I disagree with what we're supposed to be happy with in the end. I think in the end no, I mean, in the end, they cooperate with that alien. Yeah, but isn't it against those other aliens? Against the other aliens in yeah. a fight. That's what I'm saying. So it's like... Yeah. If we're supposed to be really satisfied with that in the end, I was left going, well, Gene Roddenberry wouldn't have liked this. Oh, no. Gene Roddenberry would have hated everything about this episode. Yeah. Um, I gave it a two on execution. That's pretty low. Uh, e- even Ben, who who thought the premise was a six on this, uh, only gave the execution a four. Uh, he said there was no real tension until the very end, and every time Archer argues with T'Pol, you know he's never going to take her advice, so it's way, just a waste of everyone's time. We'll get to this in characterization, but uh, Archer is such a whiny little turd. He is. He's got such a tremendous daddy issues about the Vulcans. Yeah, I don't... Okay. 
fine. We'll talk about uh, it. Did anything interesting happen in world building for you? Um, well, you should be a lot of new stuff, right? It's only the second episode. It's supposed to be like a super prequel, so we should be getting a lot of good stuff. But I didn't really feel like there was a ton yeah, going wrote, on there. I wrote down two, literally two world building things. Okay. Uh, Archer's dog gets like cheddar shits. Yeah, okay. Don't care about that. Like, that's not nothing. Yep. <laughs> uh, the only interesting thing is that um, they're in an area where supposedly even the secret Vulcan star charts don't have much because the Vulcans don't care about exploration. This series really positions the Vulcans as like the Minbari from Babylon 5. Yeah. Where they're just kind of like, no, we just do our own thing and we don't really care what happens with other people or other places. The Minbari are a lot more interesting. Yeah, well, that's because J. Michael Straczynski is much better at world building. Yeah. But that's how you're supposed to think of them in this series, I think, is that they're just kind of, they're there and they're kind of pulling some strings, but they don't really care about anything but themselves. Um, I gave it a three. I thought that's pretty poor for world, world building standards. Like, there's really not much. I gave it a... We learn a little bit about their weapon systems on the ship, but who cares? Well, except that they're just like, as you can guess, primitive versions of what the Enterprise has in later yep. ships. Yep, they have some missiles on the ship that they call torpedoes for no good reason. Yeah. Mm. And they got some phase pistols and shit. I don't know. Um, yep. So I gave it a one. And the reason I gave it a one is because they introduced two races, and then you already know you're never going to see them again. Yeah, at the end, they tell you the name of one of the races. It's just for nothing. It's just these but, guys are clearly for nothing, and they make it clear it's for nothing. Uh, and incidentally, they should be very interested in this race because they destroyed that other ship real easy. Yeah, they're powerful. Make friends with them. Which then asks, makes you ask the question, well, how'd that first ship get into trouble? It looked identical. <laughs> I know, right? Must have sprung a trap on them or something? I don't know. But um, if Starfleet does anything, if Earth does anything with those guys again, you already know we're never going to find out about it. It's nothing. It was a lot of nothing. So the uh, the last hope for this, and uh, Ben Ben gave him a four, not much, because he, he says, who are the new bad guys? Like, right. Who are they? He says they should have teased that more, so we give two shits that we met two whole alien races here. So yeah, exactly right. The two aliens were met, but it's nothing. Um, so I mean, general agreement that there's not much. The only hope left for this episode is characterization. Was there anything in this episode that gripped you at all? Okay, so no. So here's the problem: we're learning a lot about the characters. They are detestable, <laughs> like as a group and individually. There is just nothing to like about any of these fuckers. Archer, as we were saying, is just such a fucking dick, and he is so emotional. He's really, he's even more Halsey than, than Cisco. And, um, fucking, there's a lot of racism, just like overt racism. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, I don't think there's even a single person on the ship that I have any good feelings about at all after this episode. Right. So, Hoshi's, I mean, I felt, Hoshi's a goddamn coward. I mean, ugh. I felt largely the same way in that, they're doing work here, but they're not building characters that I'm interested in. Yeah, they're building negative work. Like, arguably, the most interesting thing here is that Tucker is realizing he doesn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> like, that's basically it. Like, he, he really wants to go on this away mission, and he tries to convince Archer that he's going to need to take an engineer with him. Yeah. 
And it's like, oh, no, dog, you want to be a security officer or something. Yeah. You're in the wrong field. Yeah, dog, we hired you specifically to stand here. Just stand at this yeah, your, station. Your job is in engineering, keeping the uh, prototype engines on this experimental ship running. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, it's a three. I mean, obviously, they, they attempted characterization. I just... I hate T'Pol. She's so moody. I know. So this is what I've been saying the whole time, is that... Like, she doesn't. she's not logical or suppressing emotion in any way. She's like a, a moody goddamn teenager all the time. Yeah. From the start of this series, for these first two episodes, it is clear the Vulcans are just as racist as the humans are. And that logic is not determining most of what they do. Yeah, they which is not clear really in later running on emotion most of Everything the time. Everything that this show does just ruins what comes after it. Anyway. Okay. So what'd you score it? You, you there? Yeah, I'm there. Can you not hear me? Well, I lost you. I think Matt probably hit the mute thing on his dongle. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm back. I didn't even touch it on your dongle. No, it just popped back on. I didn't even touch the dongle. Okay, that's weird. Uh, Sorry. uh, So yeah, I was asking what you scored it. Oh, oh, I gave it a one. A one for characterization, also. So the more work they did, the more I hated it. So uh, obviously, there's a lot of episodes of Enterprise left. (laughs) Yeah, but um, this is coming in as the new low score to beat. Uh. Uh, ben also gave it a one for characterization, by the way. Oh, great. Uh, he says that no self-respecting Japanese woman would be such a complaining biatch. <laughs> uh, Archer is still his douchey self that won't listen. Uh, he says T'Pol is still less expressive than Brent Spiner as Data, which, I mean, Brent Spiner does a bad job of not being expressive. Most people on even TNG are le- are less expressive. Uh, I don't think that's T'Pol's problem, <laughs> but... Uh, but I do. I don't like that character anyway. Yeah. So Matt, uh, you gave this episode an eight. <laughs> nice. Which is the new low. That's, uh, I did hate it. I hated it. Right. I gave it an eleven, which Ooh. is the lowest I've scored any episode so far. All right. And together that is nineteen out of a possible eighty. That's not good. It's a bad yeah. score. It's not a good score. That is. Uh, that is the lowest score by 13 points. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> of any episode so far. Um, so, tallying it up, the winner this week is The Next Generation. Wow. With the garbage episode, The Naked Now. Yeah, when I saw which ones we were going to watch, I definitely did not see that coming. I figured it would be one of the voyager tos ds9 group because i didn't remember them that well so i thought there was a chance they would be better than the naked now uh yeah i i i thought it probably would be charlie x especially after i watched charlie x and i had given it a 21 now i will say that as opposed or i guess kind of what we were talking about last week was how much does pure enjoyment just go into it i still think i enjoyed charlie x more Right, and that was also, I think, the one I enjoyed more, too. Uh, That show so far is a lot more fun than the others, and I don't just mean because it's campy, Yeah, but it's like, Captain Kirk seems like he's having a good old time. Most of them are. 
Yeah. Well, there's a lot like, of smirking. They are enjoying their space adventure. Even Spock does a lot of smirking. And no one else really is. Even the next generation characters are not enjoying their space jobs. No, again, that episode the, got very serious, even though it was about just being horny and drunk. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, as far as fan votes go for week two, mm. uh, Ben gave this episode to the DS9 episode past prologue. Mm. So his scores uh, went in this order. Past prologue with 22. All right. Which is higher than I scored anything this week, uh, but only by a point. It's also higher than you scored anything this week. Right. Uh, also, again, by a, by a point. Um, then below, coming in below that, he had a tie between Parallax and The Naked Now at 17. Okay. Uh, fight or Flight, he gave 15. And Charlie X, he only gave 11. I find that very surprising because TOS is his Star Trek. That's right. So that's odd. An mm. odd result. Um, maybe he'll uh, still agree that Charlie X was the most entertaining. Maybe not. Uh, but for for us, for this week, the winner is The Next Generation. That puts it uh, tied in wins with uh, the original series after two episodes so far. Boom. So no real surprise there. So in two weeks, when we do another one of these, what the hell do we yes. have on tap? Coming up. For the original series, we have Where No Man Has Gone Before, okay. the second pilot that was filmed. All right. Um, aired third uh, in the in the episode order. Uh, for The Next Generation, we have Code of Honor. Oh, yeah. That was a classic. <laughs> uh, Deep Space Nine, A Man Alone. Now, A Man Alone and Past Prologue were produced in the opposite order that they aired. Mm. So this was produced as the third episode of the series, if you count the two-part pilot. You're right. Uh, but it, it aired uh, after Past Prologue. Okay. Uh, in Voyager, we have Time and Again. Great, I can't wait for that. Anything that has time in it is going to be kind of a bummer. It's kind of a bummer idea yep. that there might be a time episode. And for Enterprise, Strange New World. So... Uh, Next week, we will be doing a regular episode, probably a mailbag episode of Brother Date. Uh, I will repeat those again if you wanted uh, at the end of that episode, if you want to know what they are. Yep. But again, we're watching for every series the episode that aired third. Yes. Uh, I'm getting this just from Wikipedia. It's very easy to find this out. So uh, I hope you join us again. And again, if you have watched all five episodes, feel free to write in and tell us which one you choose. Uh, I am keeping the fan votes. So far, it's one for Deep Space Nine. All right. All right, people, you can find us at BrotherDate.com. You can tweet us at BrotherDate. Um, you can subscribe on the iTunes. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Doctor, there must be a cure, some formula. <laughs> When the Enterprise encounters a ship on which all of the crew have partied to death. Mm. Please subscribe.